Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. When I deal with a subject such as this, I realize that in some cases, there are times that I've been just as guilty of this passage as, <clears throat> as anybody else. Preacher, have you always handled it right? No, I haven't always handled it right. I want to talk about today, do you have an eye problem? Now, if I take my glasses off, I got a real eye problem. Guess what it is? You're right. I can't see the words. I'll never forget, Jason was sitting on the front row in the early service, and, I, and one of my pairs still, do, still has the problem. I, the lens popped out on one side. Well, when I looked at the Bible, that was the weirdest looking thing. I could partially see it, but I couldn't focus. And he was laughing because he saw it on the floor, and I didn't. And, uh, of course, he acknowledged, and I got it and put it back in my glasses. Well, now, that would be my problem there. But I'm going to tell you, in one form or fashion, every one of you have got the same problems I do. We all got an eye problem, and we're going to look at it. It may be with a family member. It might be with a friend. It might be with whoever. But all of us have eye problems when it comes to what I'm talking about today. In Matthew 7, Jesus brings it to light when he says, Stop judging others, and you will not be judged. For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judgment others, it will be used to measure how you're judged. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in yours? Now, I'm going to tell you, there's times I've had log in my life. That's when we see it our way and we won't look through the eyes of someone else. How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of the speck, which the word speck means splinter. You ever had a splinter in your eye? I had a, a piece of metal get in my eye and the guy that come to me was going to get it out. He said, here, let me get it. He's going to take his pocket knife and get it. I said, you know what? I think I'll go to the doctor. How can you say, think of saying, let me help you and get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't get past the log in your own? He calls us a hypocrite. You know what, you know what the word hypocrite means? What's it mean? Play actor. Someone on the stage performing to be someone else. And they might do a good job, but... They're still a hypocrite. First, get rid of the log with the, from your own eye, and then perhaps you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, this is a passage that all of us, one time or another, and I, you know, I've done good and then I've done bad. I've, but when it comes to what I've noticed about me and people like me, is that if we're not careful, we will protect our own, even when it may mean that we've got a log in our eye. In other words, we're not going to listen to you what we think you said that my grandchild done. I don't give a rip what you're saying. 
Now, that, that's Mike over here out of the spirit in the flesh. If you're coming after my grandchild, we're ready to go. But most of you are like that. At least the ones I've seen are. I mean, you, you'll protect your kid all the way to the jailhouse. But how do we come to the point of avoiding being critical in our spirit, criticizing others? Now, there are three ways someone said that nobody will ever criticize or talk about you. I beg to differ, and I wrote the beg to differs off to the side. Number one, it says, if you do absolutely nothing. The only problem with that, most people call you lazy when you're that way, right? If you say absolutely nothing. Well, if I, when I go into a crowd and I don't say anything, most people say, what's wrong with you, preacher? Something wrong? You stuck up? What's wrong with you? Or that you do uh, if you have absolutely nothing. And then most people say, well, you're just worthless. Or you would have something. You know, everybody's got their own opinion, just like you got a nose. But as a pastor, not only have I been tempted and have criticized, but I've also been the target of criticism. I've been called a Nicolaitan. You know, I've been called a lot of different things in, in, in my life. And, and, and you got to have, as a pastor, you just got to have to develop, develop some, some thick skin. I've heard, had people say, well, you talk over my head. Listen, I talk over your head every Sunday because I'm higher than you are. I'm higher up. But that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about your, your sermons are too shallow for me. Sorry. Not deep enough. And then that's when I'll say, well, if they're not deep enough, come and join us on the Holy Spirit study. I don't know everybody knows that. Come, come join us in the book of the Revelation. Everybody, I, I, nobody even wants to hardly tackle that. But no, they want to sit in Sunday morning because that's the only time they want to go to church or be on the campus. And I'm not even going to criticize that. Well, he preaches too much on money or he says very little. He gets too loud or he's way too quiet. Can't hear him. (laughs) You know... Pastors are never going to win, and, and I've learned that. It don't matter, and sometimes I'm guilty of what people are saying. But I read this little thing, and it's kind of, kind of neat because it, it speaks of this critical spirit. If the pastor's too young, they say he lacks experience. If he's showing gray hair, he's too old for the young people. If he has five or six children, he's irresponsible. If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he uses a lot of illustrations, he's neglecting the Bible. But if he doesn't use enough, he's not relevant. If he condemns wrong deeds, he's too cranky. If he does not, he's compromising. If he drives an old car, he shames the congregation. Y'all don't have to worry about that because I drive trucks. If he drives a new one, then he's setting his affection on earthly things and living above his means. You'll never win 
being a pastor of the church. And I've learned to live with that. That's why I asked Jesus, when I die, don't you dare put me in charge of nothing in heaven. Let me sweep the pearly gate. Let me sweep around the gates. Let me sweep the clear crystal road. I don't want in charge of nothing. But down here, I'm ready to go. A critical, condemning, complaining is our nature. It's called human nature. The media, our social relationships, our schooling, our work situations are immersed in it. The greatest tragedy is that the church of Jesus will fill itself for those who have the habit of being critical, condemning one another. A Jewish rabbi in Jesus' day taught that there were six great works that brought a man credit in, the wor- in this world and profit in the world to come. One is to study. Two is to visit visiting the sick. Three is hospitality. Four is devotion and prayer. Education of children in the law. And thinking the best of other people. How quick. And I'm guilty of it myself, of thinking the worst of people. We just don't like sometimes to give people the benefit of the doubt, do we? I know I'm short on that. Well, there's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us because we won't look for the best in anything. Matthew 7, 1, Jesus said, stop judging others and you will not be judged. The word judge in the proper context means speaking of making a decision or coming to a certain conclusion about something or someone. It's to assume or jump to conclusions. I think about jumping to conclusions. I think about the dog named August. There once was a dog named August who always was jumping at conclusions. One day he jumped at the conclusion of a mule and that was the last day of August. Bad, wasn't it? Some days, just go that way. Sometimes you're in a bad mood, bad attitude. Looking with a chip on your shoulder. Well, Jesus taught about this and he said, first of all, That judgment, destructive judgment, is wicked. Verse 2, he said, For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others will be used to measure how you indeed are judged. Jesus zeroed in on, in the King James Version, on logs, dogs, and hogs. But we're not going to talk about but the logs today. We all have a tendency to have a log right here in the middle of our face. And we're okay until we get attacked or we're okay until someone comes against us. But then if we're not careful, destructive judgment of which Jesus says is wicked will take place in us and we'll begin to condemn others. We'll begin to criticize without investigating. We'll begin to insinuate. Now, I know there's a difference between confronting sin and condemning the sinner. Jesus taught her that in John chapter 8. The disciples, or the Pharisees were doing everything they possibly could to try to mess up with Jesus. Got to mess him up. 
Well, one day they brought, the Bible says, an adulterous woman that was caught in the very act. Now, if you investigate that, the first thing you're going to go ask is, where's the man? I mean, if they were caught in the very act, what was she doing? If it was adultery. It had to be somebody. But they didn't bring the man. Brought the woman. Well, everybody knew what the law was during that day when a woman was, or a man was caught in the very act of adultery. You stoned them to death. Boy, we'd all be in trouble today, wouldn't we? You'd die. Jesus never condemned the sinner. But he didn't condone it either. The Bible says, and you know, he doodled in the sand and he wrote and all of a sudden all the rocks began to drop and before long it was just him and that adulterous woman. And Jesus looked at the woman and said, woman, where are your accusers? She says, I have none. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But then here's what he said. Go and sin no more. Adultery is what? It's a sin. You know, I don't... When you don't hear me preaching a lot on homosexuality, is it because I believe it's right? Absolutely not. Homosexuality is just as much sin as adultery. Now, some of you look at it different because it, it doesn't involve a man and a woman. It involves a woman and a woman and a man and a man, right? Jesus tells us not to condemn homosexuals We're to love the people, but not condone the sin. How do you know it's sin? Because the Bible says it. You just start reading Romans chapter 1, you can get in all kind of trouble in the crowd of homosexuals. You're unjust, you're mean, you're nasty. All you got to do is read the Bible, what it says. Premarital sex, preacher, you okay with people living together? No. And I think it's wrong. But I'm not going to not love the person. I'm not going to throw them away. Two people living together out of wedlock is living in adultery. And, and I would take the same stand that Jesus did. I don't condemn you, but I'm not going to condone it. My brother has a daughter. And she's a lesbian. And I don't know how he handles all that stuff, but... When I'm around her, I give her a hug. I tell her I love her. Now, she don't ask me. If she did, I'd tell her. Now, some of you, if you got the spirit, you just got to tell them whether they ask you or not. <laughs> you know that's wrong. Well, yeah, they know it's wrong. But that's not going to make them do right because they know it's wrong. Abortion has always been murder. It'll always be murder, whether it's nine months or, to me, four days. You know, and, and, and we read it. We see this on TV all the time. Doctors and different ones saying, well, you know, at nine months, you just take the baby, set it on the table, and keep it, keep it comfortable. Well, good, not keep it comfortable. You're a murderer. But nonetheless, are you going to be... Condemning them? No, we're just not going to condone it. Because why? Biblically, it's wrong. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all stand 
before Jesus to be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good and the evil we've done in these bodies. Matthew 12, 36 says, And I will tell you this, that you must give an account on the day of judgment and of every idle word spoken and that we speak. Everything I've done wrong, I've got to give account of it. So will you. So I believe Jesus set forth a good standard, but judgment is wrong when we judge by the wrong standard and by the wrong spirit. There's only one standard that we're to use to judge other people, one yardstick, one measurement, and that's the Word of God. If the Word of God says something is wrong, then my friend, it's wrong, and it's okay to say it's wrong. Now, people could say you're judgmental as as saying something's wrong, then, you know, you don't have to cave or anything, but it's never wrong to call wrong, wrong. Even somebody says, well, everybody else is doing it. Well, I don't make them right. Judgment can still be wrong, even if you use the right standard, if you do it with the wrong spirit. The spirit of judgment must be corrective, constructive, not condemning or critical. But then sometimes when you come down and make a decision and it puts you on a bad situation or maybe you handle it a little bit wrong, whatever, it's still going to have a tough outcome. One, two reasons why it's difficult for you and I to be, be an excellent judge is, number one, you're fallible. You know what that means? That means you don't know all the facts, and sometimes we don't. We make hasty conclusions, which is both wrong and unjustified. The other reason is you're fallen. That is, you and I are not perfect, and most of the time we walk around depending on a situation with a log right smack dab in the middle of our head because that's who we are. My dad, I remember Sunday, I'm glad he's gone. Not that I'm glad he's gone, but I'm glad. How do I wouldn't want to hear him, hear him to hear me tell this illustration, but... There was a guy in this guy, and it was outside of my office. My office used to be in the old building where the break room and all that is chairs and all. And my dad was outside my door arguing, and then he went to cussing. And I walked out and I said, What in the world? Him and this other book, it was when Tennessee played LSU, I think, that year <laughs> and beat Tennessee. And he was telling him why Tennessee lost. Well, my dad, you can't do that with. I mean, and he went, I, he was cussing so loud, it's embarrassing. So anyway, I walk out and I looked and I said, Dad, what are you doing? Well, he started, I said, stop right there. Get your hind in in that Sunday school class right now. Now, that's what he used to tell me when I was young. He walked right in that Sunday school class and sat down. I felt kind of bad doing that. Generally, when we're criticizing the faults of others, sometimes we're guilty of the same thing ourselves, unfortunately. There was a young man who was trying to, to get his wife or, or to get his mother to, to, to like his wife. And, and every time he'd take one home, man, she'd just jump on that and she'd run her off. 
So finally, a friend of his told him, he said, now, look, I'm going to tell you how to do it. He said, you need to go find you a wife that looks like your wife, a mother, that talks like your mother, that acts like your mother. I mean, everything about her, just like your mother. And it'll work, I promise you. Well, sure enough, he went out and he found one that looked like his mama, that grinned like his mama, that talked like his mama. She thought like the mama. Of course, he took her home and his mama fell in love with her. So they all got together one day and he, the friend said, hey, man, you never did call and tell me how that worked out. Tell me what went on. He said, man, it was wonderful. I took him in, I took her in and, and, and met my mama and all of a sudden she began to look, act, talk, smell and did everything like mama. My mama fell in love with her, but my father hated her to death. <laughs> you just can't win. Somebody's going to kick back on you. Second of all is deluded judgment is wrong. What is that? That is deceived wrong. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your, own, in your own eye? How can you say, your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye when you've got a bigger obstacle in your own eye? You can't see right. Basically, Jesus saying, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of the speck in your own eye when you can't even see past the log in your own? I'm going to tell you why it's so easy for someone like that to see the speck, because they are speck inspectors. That's what they're looking for. Some call them splinter specialists. Others call them the members of the FBI, the Fundamentalist Bureau of Investigation. They love to find fault with other people. The natural tendency is that you're looking for their faults. You're looking at someone else's faults through a telescope. Or, or you want them to look through your, your faults through the telescope. But then you, when you're looking at their faults, it's through the microscope. Now, I can tell you right now, I want you to look through the microscope for me. I'm okay with that. I don't necessarily like it when you see something and you tell me, but I'm okay. If I'm guilty, hey, it needs straightened out. But I sure wish I could get the same thing out of y'all. But normally I can't. You get offended. You get mad. You call me a Nicolation. And normally there's something up with that. Probably because you're guilty. The easiest thing in the world to see is the faults which others own. The hardest thing in the world to see is the fault in which you condone. And you don't want to do anything about it. Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. Y'all, have y'all ever been visiting or invite somebody to church and here's what they tell you? I ain't coming down there. Ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites down there. And you know what I tell them? That's right. We need one more. <laughs> you see, I already know we're hypocrites. And, and if you don't think you're a hypocrite, whoo, you got a beam in your eye. Because somewhere in our lives, we're hypocritical. We, we just don't measure up. 
we ought to work on it. An owner of a manufacturing company showed up at one of his businesses, and he, he walked in. There was this man leaning up against the wall, the young guy. Wasn't doing nothing. He got mad. He walked up to him. He says, hey, buddy, how much you make? He said, 300 bucks a week. He took out 300, shelled it out. He said, now get on out of here, you lazy thing. He went out with a smile on his face. The boss came up and he noticed what was going on. He said, son, he said, sir. He said, no, I want to ask you a question. Who was it? When did we employ him? He said, he wasn't employed here. He was making a delivery for somebody. (laughs) We have a tendency where we want to insinuate sometimes before we investigate. And he deserved to lose his $300 as far as I'm concerned. Well, number three, discriminating judgment is wise. Because he says in verse 5, remove the plank, then perhaps you can see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. There's nothing wrong with you bringing out the fact that there may be something in someone's eye. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you're not guilty of the same thing. Or you're critical about it. You know, I again, I think you ought to be able to take constructive criticism. I think you ought to be able to be willing to listen, and I think you ought to take it in stride and learn something from it. But if you're carrying a chip on your shoulder, wanting somebody to knock it off, I'll guarantee you one thing, somebody's going to do it. We somehow think we can blow out another person's candle and make our our candle burn brighter. But the fact of it is, only the insecure are more judgmental of others. Unscare yourself. Verse 5. Did you know that you can't understand verse 5 fully and and get verse 5 and 1 if you don't get those together? Because, see, Jesus tells us how to walk the tightrope between confronting sin and condemning the sinner. He said, first, remove the plank from your eye. And what he's talking about is when we condemn with selfish judgment, not self-judgment. He condones self-judgment. Self-examination is okay. But eliminate the selfish condemnation. (laughs) Y'all know what what an evangelist is, right? Anybody don't know what an evangelist is? We don't have many of them. We've had them come through. An evangelist is somebody called and goes and preaches all over, you know, different churches. Well, one Sunday this preacher was in and he preached and he went out with the preacher, you know, just like we do. And you stand in there and this little boy, he walked up to him and, and the preacher stuck out his hand. And that little boy said, uh, preacher, that was one of the poorest sermons I believe I've ever heard. So the little boy goes around, he comes back and gets back in line and he takes him and, and and he shakes his hand again. And he said to the little boy, the little boy looked at him. He said, you'll never preach in this church again. So the little boy took off and he come back around. The third time he said, the little boy looked at him and he said, I don't, I want you to know, uh, you ain't going to get paid much for what you did. And all of a sudden the preacher heard every bit of that. And he looked at the evangelist and said, oh man, don't worry about him. He only repeats what he hears other people say it. I'm not so sure he gave a whole lot of consolation there, comfort, but it's true. John 7, 24 tells us not to judge according to appearance, but judge 
the righteous judgment. To me, I think that says it all. You cannot judge a tree by its leaves, but you definitely can judge a tree by its fruit. I mean, you know it's an apple tree because it produces what? Pears, right? No, apples. You cannot judge a book by its cover, but you can definitely judge a book by its what? Content. If you're seeing a lot of stuff in in the content, you go, whoa, it's okay. Say something about that. It's called righteous judgment. We need to be careful that we don't judge people for appearance only. A lady was in an airport, and she was, you know, how many have ever flown? Raise your hand. Hi. Okay. You, you know, they've got stores in there, and you can buy you some cookies and candy and something, drink and all that stuff. Well, this woman got her a pack of cookies, and uh, she rushed out, sat down. You, you know, you got to wait and wait in there before you go get on your airplane. Well, this man sat down beside her, and when he sat down, there was a the cookies right there between him and her. And he, he just sort of reached over and opened the package and got him a cookie and ate it. Oh, man. She said the audacity of that. So she reached one, grabbed it out, and she ate it. Well, he reached over and grabbed another one, and he ate it. And the more he ate, the madder she was getting. Till finally they got down to the last cookie. He reached down and broke it in two and looked at her with a meanest glare and eat his cookie, got up and walked off. She said, I cannot believe he sat here and ate almost all of my cookies. Then the plane attendant said, it's time to board the airplane. She reaches down in her purse and there was her cookies. (laughs) Don't we do that sometimes? We judge on the appearance only. All of us at times are eat up with bad attitudes, blurred vision, and bitterness. But we don't have to stay that way, do we? If you can think of someone right now, and I can, several, we need to begin, and I have, praying about those walls crumbling. Because I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't like to upset people. Now, when I preach this, and if you got a critical spirit, that's on you, babe. Because Jesus said, preach it. But when we know we've done things, or we can name names that are on our heart and on our minds, God can work in mighty ways. And I've seen him do it in my past with different ones. One thing I know, I told a man many that had a grudge against me for over 10 years. Right before he died, I told him, I said, you know, this last three days has been sweet to have a fellowship with you like this. Because for 10 years, you hated my guts. I said, it's a shame that two adults let that be like that for 10 years. Oh, I tried. One time almost run over me. So I just quit. 
But all of us in here, we can either be, have somebody yell at us or we can be yell at someone else. And just remember that it does affect you. Be careful that you don't insinuate before you investigate. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Father, we do 